My goal is to have conversations about, are we creating a world where it doesn't matter what race you are, what your gender identity is, what your sexual orientation is, we all understand that your human experience deserves to be affirmed, respected, and valued. And we can create a society that does that. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to sex ed. I am one of your hosts, Sarah, and I am joined by my very detail-oriented <laughs> co-host, Robin. Robin, <sighs> how are you today? You know, it must be anxiety that I'm being detail-oriented. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. It's just like a continuation of massive growth. Mm. You know, I thought I was like coasting for a little while and it just keeps going and it's really intense again. So yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. Anything giving you a fuck yeah? Yes. Okay. Great. I have a couple major fuck yeahs. I'm going to pick my top one okay. right now. Okay. So I went to the doctor recently, okay. my regular doctor, I love her, and I get tested pretty often for my thyroid because I have an underactive thyroid. So I got tested in August because I ADHD'd on an appointment. I was getting tested right before the appointment and then completely forgot to go to the appointment. And then I felt a lot of shame about it. And so then I didn't call her back for like many months. And then finally I did. And I made the appointment. I had to get tested again. So every time that I've gotten tested for my thyroid since I've gotten on medication for it, I've always, you know how like you'll on Quest, it'll, it'll be like in the red or it's green, you know, and it's telling you if you're in like the good range or whatever. So ever since I started medication, I've always been in the range where I'm just under, you know, so she'll be like, well, it's in the red, but it's only by like 0.2 or whatever. So let's not, I'm like, all right, I guess it's good enough. So that's how it was in August. I got tested again. And for the first time in, I think, seven years. I am in the solid, solid green. Normally I'm at negative 0.2 and now I'm at four. So what's happened since August? One, I moved into the back house and I have my own space now and I'm able to calm my nervous system regularly. And two, I started taking voice lessons. I'm taking singing lessons. I've done that for two months now. And your thyroid is in your throat. And I'm doing all the somatic work in therapy where every time I get upset, almost every time, I get a big lump in my throat and then me and my therapist will do like a whole, you know, somatic visualization to like kind of ease that discomfort in my throat and also reprocessing a lot of trauma that brings up that kind of thing. So not only am I, I'm using my voice on the podcast, I'm using my voice in my singing lessons and I'm able to calm my nervous system. These are all things that have happened since August that were not necessarily, I mean, the podcast we've been doing for a while, but it's like all of these ways that I am, I think, somatically releasing this tension from my throat. And I think it is tying in to the health of my thyroid. I, I just think it's amazing. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what does it mean to have like low thyroid levels? Because I was expecting you were going to say something diet related. Low thyroid is when uh, you're really tired, you're exhausted all the time. 
and we have dry skin and like, you know, I've always been tired and dry. You just don't have like your full glow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it messes with a lot of parts. I I, I should know more. It's hormone related <laughs> too, correct? A thyroid is a hormone. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it fucks with your whole system. And it's pretty imperative, according to my doctor, to get on medication for it. And it's something that she said you have to be on medication for the rest of your life. So I'm interested to see if this somatic work is actually going to maybe relieve myself of this thyroid problem. I don't know. And had she also recommended de-stressing activities? No. No, she just said medication. She just put me on medication. She was like, oh, it happens a lot around this age. And I was like, I think it's been happening to me forever because all the symptoms were things that I have experienced my whole life. Also like brain fraud. I, I, I don't want to say too much because I, I don't want to give people bad medical advice or anything, but it's just like a malaise, I think. It's a lot like um, low iron and stuff like that where you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, everything's exhausting, which I've always felt that way, you know, but I also have also learned that trauma and holding on to trauma and hurt feelings and all of this stuff is really exhausting as well. So I'm relieving myself of a lot of things that I, mm-hmm. it, it is coming up, I think, on medical documents, yeah. which is really. And another thing that's coming up on medical documents, which I was excited about, is that I gained 15 pounds since August. That's great. Thanks. And it is great. And I'm like really excited because I struggle every day, mm-hmm. every day to eat, every single day. And a big part of it has been letting go of the body image stuff. And it's still a struggle to do that. But I'm no longer starving myself for appearance reasons, at least not consciously. I think all of my starvation tactics and food repulsions, now I I can see it directly correlates to my mood and my self-esteem. So like last week when I was having like serious self-esteem issues, dealing with a lot of like self-loathing and uh, really bad self-talk, my appetite just goes like down into the basement. And it's it's not just that I don't feel like eating or that I forget to eat. It's that um, I'm repulsed by the idea. Even thinking about it can make my stomach turn. And I'm just like, but you know what, I'll get a lump in my throat too. I know it's all emotional. So I'm trying to really, I'm trying to, I'm working with it. I'm trying, I'm trying, but it feels good to be 15 pounds heavier. I can see now that I'm heavier And this is one of my heaviest, I think this is the heaviest I've ever been outside of pregnancy. I'm taking up some space. I'm taking up space. I have like, I don't know, a thickness. I've uh, bought some new pants. I'm a medium, you know, so it feels, um, it feels nice to wear clothes that aren't too tight and that um, it makes me feel a little bit like crying. It's like a weird thing to reconcile food a little bit. I'll have to do an episode on this because your relationship to food and my relationship to food, like we're not totally opposite ends of the spectrum, but I was noticing we're close. Yeah. Yeah. And like Ruby's been sick this week and she's been home from school. And I noticed that her appetite is really strong. And Mm. I, we were just sitting and having dinner and I was just commenting to her I was like you know when I don't feel well I really like to eat comfort foods Mm -hmm. I'm noticing that you have a pretty good appetite even though you're not feeling well 
And so just asking her some questions about that. And, you know, I don't try to place things in her mind of like, oh, maybe you take after me. You know, I feel like that mm-hmm. that was such the norm when we were kids, everyone yep. trying to identify the source of whatever. And, you know, I didn't have my father in my life. So it was always like a little stingy or not always, but, you know, there was some subtext there. But we just kind of chatted about our love of food and that as a source of comfort and how when you feel sick, like having foods like potatoes and soups and Mm. pastas and just really comforting foods is like a nice way to just make your body feel a little bit better. And it was just so cute because I'm, I'm that way. She's that way. And it's just very different from what your relationship to food is. Yeah. Well, that's a nice thing that you guys share together. I mean, it's like the multiple levels of pleasure. And I'm trying to see food as more of a pleasure source rather than like this annoying obligation Yeah. that, but I, I, it, it ties into like neglect as a child. So it's kind of like, I use it to abuse myself, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I used to use it in order to like get value out of thinness. Well, and it's so exactly like it's so positively reinforced. But I think that, you know, what you're describing with taking voice lessons, Mm -hmm. like there's a general kind of nourishment Mm -hmm. that it and so regardless of, you know, maybe your thyroid's responding to the medication, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's that you are clearing this energy block that's in this part of your body. Maybe it's both. It actually doesn't matter because right. what you're doing is you're taking action towards creating more support, nourishment, and resourcing yourself in a variety of ways. And you're feeling fucking better. Yeah. And that's so great. It's a rough road, but I know I'm going in the right direction. The path is getting clearer and more obvious as I go. So Ugh. there's more light coming through the trees and stuff. So it's nice. I love it. I love that story. Thank you. I love it too. One thing that's interesting about the voice lessons that surprised me is that it's not just learning how to sing. It's learning how to use your own voice because I didn't realize this, but whenever I would sing, I was trying to sound like someone or sound what I thought I should sound like or sound like what I think I might be able Mm -hmm. to sound good as. But she does this thing with me. She'll be like, okay, your yeah is your voice. Because she'll be talking to me. I'll go, yeah, yep, yeah. You know, she's like, that's you. That's your voice. So I want you to start just just start saying yeah. And then we're going to start saying yeah at different notes. And then you're going to sing your yeah. So it'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and so that's how you actually find your own voice. And so every time we're practicing on mm. my voice because... I have to think about it to even make it happen. But it's such an interesting exercise because she's like, that's where the warmth and the tone is. You don't have that warmth and tone unless you're using your voice. So it's about finding your true voice. And I'm like, everything, Sarah, everything goes back to authenticity. Every fucking thing. You're going to sound best. You're going to look best. You're going to be your best if you're the most you you can be. You know? And I'm just... That's like all the lessons are leading in every avenue of my life, my couples, my regular therapy, this podcast, everything I'm learning about right now is authenticity. And I'm starting to think that that is the highest kind of calling, like that might be enlightenment, is getting to your truest form of showing up. I love it. Speaking of showing up. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I'm excited about our guest today because I do some work with Chris. We have the president of Secus joining us. So Secus is the organization that I'm on the board of. It is Secus Sex Ed for Social Change, the oldest sexuality-focused, sex-education-focused organization in the country. It was founded in 1964, so coming up on 60th. And it's done a lot of different kinds of things over the years. I'm going to let Chris really speak to what the core focus is now. But in 2019, they kind of restructured the organization to focus exclusively on sex ed policy and changed the name to Sex Ed for Social Change because the belief is that Sex Ed is really at the nexus of many social justice movements. So mm-hmm. from queer rights, reproductive justice, the Me Too movement, conversations around consent and healthy relationships. And so that like Sex Ed is touching on all of these things. And really that kind of refocus in the mission is largely due to Chris's coming on as the president and CEO of Secus. She's just a total powerhouse. She had worked in the Obama administration before joining Secus. She's a single mom by choice of twin boys, which, you know, she's just always going to have my absolute mad respect for her. <laughs> for her parenting skills. And she's just, it's really nice to, even though I don't work for Secus, just getting to participate and advise on the work that they're doing on the national level is one of my favorite things that I do. And I'm really excited to talk to Chris about sex ed, kind of the state of sex ed right now in the country and a new initiative that they're working on called Sex Ed Futurism. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Yeah, I can't wait. Let's get into it. Okay, let's bring her on. Hi, Chris. Welcome. We're so excited to have you here. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to do a couple warm-up questions. What's the latest picture on your phone? It's actually a picture of my new puppy accessing his incision site because he just got neutered and he's not supposed to be messing with his incision site. And he is. So I (laughs) took a picture so I could send it to the vet and be like, I told you he's actually accessing it. So I don't know what we need to do, but I'm not coming back (laughs) paying for a bigger vet bill. (laughs) You're like, he's way more flexible than you think. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so you have a up close like stitches shot of a of a puppy belly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Who was your first celebrity crush? Uh, you know, I feel like it was Zach from Saved by the Bell. Oh, Although so good. I was reading uh like one of those like BuzzFeed articles. They're talking about the fox from Robin Hood. No, no, no. Shut um, up. Yes, from Robin yeah, Hood. Yeah, from Robin Hood and they were like this like this first crush that you had on like <laughs> Yes. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so accurate. Like, I totally thought that that fox is really cute. (laughs) It's a hot fucking fox. You're the second time to bring up both of those because Mike had Zach from Saved by the Bell and he said he felt like Screech at the time. (laughs) And then we we had uh, Andrew Gerza brought up 
um, that fox and blew our minds with that because I was like, holy shit, I had a crush on that fox too. That he was smooth, confident <laughs> fucking fox. Yep, the George Clooney of foxes. <laughs> That's he's right. A little gay. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, no, he's swishy. And then we found out he's voiced by a gay man. Yeah. So I think that's part of the appeal as well. Yeah, it all tracks. What was your first mode of masturbation? Oh, interesting. Actually using like a stuffed toy mm-hmm. to help with yep. the same manipulation. Their face? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we're finding out a lot of toys, especially their heads got humped. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this question. I would say 99% of the time. The rest yeah. of, like, I'm, I'm thinking that we're starting to do a little case study, actually, because... I always felt like most of us are humpers from the beginning and um, we, you know, we're, we're now trying to prove it. Mm -hmm. Can you set the stage for us? Seekus has been around for 60 years Wow, and really has done a lot of different kinds of work in that time. And I think, you know, when I first heard about Seekus, my understanding was Seekus was an organization that actually developed sex ed curriculum. But what CECUS is working on now mm-hmm. is really different. So how does CECUS define its work mm-hmm. today? So first, I just, I can't believe that April 2024 is CECUS's 60th anniversary, um, which is such an incredible milestone. And I feel really honored to be at the helm of this organization and being able to celebrate that and to think about an organization that has been um you know, advocating for recognizing that human sexuality mm-hmm. is healthy, natural, and normal and mm-hmm. should be respected as such for 60 years. It's really incredible. CIGAS was known as the Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States. It's always been at the front lines of these sexual cultural wars and conversations defending the right for people to experience their sexuality with information and facts and truth rather than shame and stigma. As Sarah said, one of the main contributions that CECUS made was to create a guidelines around sex education, what people should know, when they should know it, why it's important for, for folks to know it. They created a lot of research and information exploring sex education, human sexuality from a fact-based, medically accurate standpoint, you know, and even today in hearing the way that some people attack sex education and CECUS in particular just reaffirms how important it is that somebody started a conversation that was like, actually, let's take all of the mythology and the fear mongering out of these conversations and get yeah. to the truth of what's going on with the human body. So today, CECUS advocates for sex education through advocacy, policy, and coalition building We want to have an equitable world where all people receive sex ed, are affirmed in their identities, and have the power to make decisions for themselves. And so I think the things that we're doing a little bit differently is that, you know, recognizing that sexual and reproductive freedom is a human right, but also talking about sex education as having the potential to lay a foundation that positively impacts some of these really difficult conversations that we're having as a country right now Mm -hmm. um, on issues Mm -hmm. around gender and sexual diversity, racial justice, sexual and reproductive health, practicing of consent and preventing sexual violence, and then also around recognizing bodily autonomy as an inherent human Mm -hmm. right. 
And then the third thing that we're really trying to do is make sure that we're centering real lived experiences through an intersectional lens in our work so that if we're making policy advancements, we're making policy advancements that benefit the folks that are mm-hmm. most marginalized and undersupported by the way that laws and uh, are set yeah. up now. We are really trying to expand the conversation about what sex ed is and why it's important and why we should all care about it. You know, this access to information is so powerful, especially in this arena. It's disheartening that it's still such a struggle, but it's so great that you guys are out there doing this. It's very much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. This is where it's important to have a policy voice mm-hmm. in this conversation because by and large, the American public believes and supports sex education. Mm-hmm. 80% of parents, it doesn't matter what their political leanings are, think that, you know, kids should be taught sex ed, of course. Yeah. And it's our politicians and our elected officials who are squeamish about this. I think the loud minority and the fear mongering that happens who are afraid to talk about sex and reproduction openly that have held Mm -hmm. us back for so long. And I think that the phase where Robin and I most interact with people is when they've gotten into adulthood Mm -hmm. are still operating largely from that place of shame and stigma that they've just like absorbed from Mm -hmm. the culture Mm -hmm. and are like, okay, I'm finally at a place in my life where I want to integrate all of these parts of myself and allow Mm -hmm. myself to be a whole being that has sexual desire that maybe is considered non-normative. The question I think that I get the most, it always boils down to, am I normal? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, we can be addressing that at such a younger age Mm -hmm. by helping people understand that sexual diversity is the norm. Mm -hmm. And so we believe that sex ed is quote unquote good, but what are the positive impacts that sex ed can have on kids and just people's lives? One of the things I'm really, I always want to point to is there was a 30 year literature review that was conducted by professors Lisa Lieberman and uh, Eve Goldberg. And they looked at the benefits of sex education beyond pregnancy prevention and disease prevention. And what they found was that Sex education that was scaffolded across the life scan starting at very young age, even before kindergarten, but at least by kindergarten, and then built upon mm-hmm. in age-appropriate, medically accurate ways yielded so many more benefits to young people mm-hmm. beyond just pregnancy prevention, STI prevention. What they found was that sex education can actually help provide young people the tools to prevent child sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. It creates safer school environment for all young people. There's less bullying and harassment that Mm -hmm. can happen. There's an increased understanding of what is a healthy relationship and how to navigate relationships that are unhealthy, which then results in reduction in relationship and sexual violence. It helps to improve social emotional learning. It also increases affirmation and support for gender and sexual diversity. Mm -hmm. We see all of these things that is not captured in the way that we typically talk about and address sex education, but is really core to what we mean, particularly at CECAS, when we say sex education, because we really have to get beyond scary pictures Mm -hmm. of STIs or the fear around showing people what a reproductive organ is and helping Mm -hmm. them understand what it does. So we're talking about sex ed that 
about human development and anatomy, reproductive health. That's, you know, STIs, contraception, miscarriages, abortion, mm -hmm. pregnancy. We need to know all of that stuff. Sexual behavior, what understanding what that is, what the risks are, what safe practices are, whether we're talking about abstinence or engaging in sexual activity. Again, you know, healthy relationships that is about personal skills, communication, mm -hmm. negotiating personal safety, negotiating rejection, mm -hmm. understanding consent and practicing that, right? And then I think that there's all of the social and cultural pressures that young people experience that affect their mental and emotional health particularly for some of our most vulnerable young people, the ones that are experiencing, you know, a crisis of mental health right now, mm -hmm. LGBTQ youth, mm -hmm. kids with disabilities, kids of color. And so we want to say that when sex ed is successful, it's not just about kids either choosing not to have sex or practicing safer sex mm -hmm. when they do have sex, mm -hmm. that everyone is being given shame-free age-appropriate tools that's fact-based information. It's personal skill development. It's the behavior and attitudinal support that helps them navigate how to be in respectful relationship with themselves and with each other, regardless of what they look like, how they identify or what choices they make. That's beautiful. You're describing right now, like when I got into sex ed, which ooh, almost 20 years ago, I guess. So that's, you know, I'm dating myself right now. But we would call that comprehensive sex ed in contrast to a lot of the abstinence only education that was out there, all the curriculum that is not fact based, like the chewed gum Ugh. exercises that they had people do. Like, you know, they you still do your oh, chewed gum around. It's like, but. I have come to learn from you that comprehensive sex ed has now been totally rebranded and co-opted as a, you know, essentially a bad word by the right. What is happening right now with the discourse in the country? It just feels like the conversation's out of control. You know, anything sex is sort of scary to the right. But I actually think the bigger issue is that we just need to get more clear about what we're talking about when we're talking about sex ed. The average person is not thinking about comprehensiveness or age appropriateness or inclusiveness or medical information, right? When they're talking about sex, it's like, we just want sex ed. And so what we're actually trying to do is say, this is what sex ed means. All of what I just shared. That's sex ed. That is what young people are demanding to be taught, right? And deserve to be taught. This other thing, this abs only stuff, that's not sex ed. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's shame and stigma wrapped in a whole bunch of guilt and grossness that we don't want your kids to be taught, that you don't want your kids to be taught. And so that's where we're just trying to clear, clear up the language. Because again, we know that the majority of adults, the majority of parents believe that their kids should be taught sex ed. When we start confusing and adding all of this language to it, that they start to get confused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, that's more of the goal is just to help everyone understand when we're talking about sex ed, we mean A. When they're talking about ab only, they mean B. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I mean, that's, that's interesting. I just finished my sex educator certification after all of these years. And one of the things we talked about is really the importance of the specificity mm. of language. An example that came up is like, pro choice obscures mm. the issue. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm pro abortion. Mm -hmm. You know, and so mm -hmm. I, I like that just like getting really kind of laser focused with the language. 
We talked about teen pregnancy prevention for so long as the goal of sex education Mm, that we actually lost the ability to help people understand what we meant by sex ed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do think that that was a result of, again, adults feeling squeamish Mm -hmm. about the idea of children or kids, young adults, having sex education or being sexual beings or needing to know information about how to navigate their sexuality across the lifespan, that it felt safer to talk about teenage pregnancy prevention. Mm -hmm. But what that did was then it focused on these kind of risk outcomes rather than all of the benefits of what does it mean for young people to actually be raised Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. feel empowered in navigating their bodies consent, relationships with others, with their own level of understanding and skill to do what was right for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that that could also mean that they decide to engage in sexual activity. And so I do think that that's part of it, right? We need to talk about sex education and the broadest benefits, all of these things that kids actually receive when they're taught information that's age appropriate, that is comprehensive, that is inclusive, that is recognizing of lived experiences and understand that it's not just about this one activity, you know, penis and vagina sex. It's all of this other stuff. And when you teach young people to navigate this information with that breadth of knowledge, they are so better positioned to have healthy relationships and to be able to build a lifestyle that is both respectful and meaningful for themselves and for others. And so that's the kind of shift in conversation that we're trying to have at Seekus, because I don't want to talk about whether or not some high schooler is having sex or, you know, what age kids start sexual activity. That's not actually my goal. Mm -hmm. My goal is to have conversations about, are we creating a world where it doesn't matter what race you are, what your gender identity is, what your sexual orientation Mm -hmm. is, we all understand that your human experience deserves to be affirmed, respected, and valued. And we can create a society that does that. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Something that's so frustrating about living through this time right now is like everything that you're saying just makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I do feel like the right is owning these conversations. So we have this issue, which I think is a progressive issue of people support sex ed, but then it's kind of hard to get them rallied around it as an issue that actually impacts their actions. Like, are you going to talk to your representatives? Are you going to pay attention to who's on your school board? Are you going to vote, right? And I'm I'm curious your thoughts because there's this all-out attack on things like gender-affirming care. Mm-hmm. Sex education is being reframed as grooming. Mm -hmm. We've got drag bans across the country. And I feel like these issues really intersect. Yes. And I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on that and just generally kind of what you think is at stake for us not to get, you know, not for a fire to get lit under Mm -hmm. all of our butts to actually take some action against this. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely true. Sex education is not a pocketbook issue, right? It's not the thing that is affecting people's economic status and, you know, trumping these conversations. The reason that the conservative, you know, hate mongering space has been so effective is because their whole orientation is around motivating people through fear. Mm -hmm. And it's really this fear that's based on white supremacy, this Mm -hmm. idea that America is shifting out from under us and 
all of a sudden, the look of Americans is changing. Who holds power is changing. I will lose power if America becomes a non-white, genderqueer country. And so, you know, we are seeing the fascists with the Christian right and, I don't know, QAnon, Mm -hmm. right, coming together and getting animated and activated. And it's the attacks on our democracy, the attacks on our constitutional rights, they're all connected around this fight. I mean, Mm -hmm. we really looked at the Supreme Court decision around Dobbs. It not only was about upending the right to abortion, but Justice Thomas's opinion specifically mm-hmm. created this through line around all of the individual liberties mm-hmm. that are protected under the right to privacy, which includes the right to access contraception, to mm-hmm. the right to engage in private sexual activity, the right to same-sex marriage. He stopped at interracial marriage wow. because that's the only mm-hmm. right to privacy that would directly impact him. Mm-hmm. But everything else is all in there, right? And so in essence, our constitutional rights and our understanding of our democratic freedoms are all intertwined in this right to autonomy over one's sexuality and sexual behaviors. Mm-hmm. And in 2022s, when we saw this huge uptick in sex educators and public school systems coming under attack from this same regressive minority that pushed for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Mm-hmm. And all of this is intertwined in this white supremacist fear of what happens if America changes. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important for us to make those connections, to understand what's happening and to recognize that the attacks on schools, it's not just about attacking trans kids. It's not just about attacking LGBTQ kids. It's not about the books. They are trying to change the way that our young people are taught to force this ideology that's regressive and harmful and pushes us way back. I mean, the other thing about the Dobbs decision, they connected it all the way back to like the 12th century when women and third world people were chattel, right? To be traded and sold by land owning Mm -hmm. white men. So we do need to understand that there's a through line across all of this. And it is really discouraging, alarming, upsetting to see this uptick in attacks. Sikas tracked a 438% increase in hate-based legislation that was attacking sex ed, LGBTQ inclusion, honest history in public schools. And then this year, just in the first half, we tracked another 750 bills. A lot of them that were omnibus bills that took these kind of threads of attack and shove them all together and try to push it through. And so that is happening. We have seen that tidal wave across the country. The nugget of hope is it's not actually successful Mm -hmm. as a strategy. You know, even in the last election, more often than not, the Moms for Liberty school board Mm -hmm. candidates lost their elections than won it. Even in deep red Texas, we saw voters saying, I don't understand what they're saying. That's a conversation of hate that's not real in my community. Mm -hmm. We do want sex ed to be taught. This is not like, what are they doing? Why are they attacking our students in our schools in this way? This is not helping anything. And so I do think that that's some of the message and the pushback that we need to do. I mean, what we know is that when people do get activated, they're able to fight these attacks at the school level and at the school boards. But from my perspective, I think it's kind of twofold. We've got to get out of our silos about how we see these attacks and recognize that what they're doing is they're coming for the weakest link. 
where we are least positioned to support young people. And they're going to start there, but their goal is this broader agenda. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right. And so at Seekus, we're talking about how do we bring all of these conversations together and recognize that through line and recognize that part of the reason that sex education is so important is because it's a strategy that works across these different yep. conversation fronts. That when you are teaching young people to affirm each other, mm-hmm. right, these attacks don't have success because people are seeing each other as humans. Right. And then I think the other piece of it is we need more organizations to step up. For a really long time, sex educators have been direct service providers. Their goal is to get into classrooms and to work with young people. They don't necessarily see themselves as activists, right? They Mm -hmm. don't see themselves as being on the front line of this culture war fight. They're much more, let me get in and get information to young people so that they're prepared Mm -hmm. to enter adulthood with as much facts as they can. I don't need to fight family first or whatever over here. But now is a time where we're seeing when we don't position ourselves as activists and as community members, as leaders who stand up and fight these fights and speak clearly about what sex ed is and why it matters, that's when we struggle. And so Zika's has been really focused on providing technical assistance and you know messaging support and direct action and action alert support to help those communities that are being hit by these attacks on the front line. And then, you know, able to to make some wins. We saw 27 states introduce anti-sex ed legislation this past year, but we were able to push back. We're only, I mean, we still lost in seven states, but, you know, that's 20 states that where these bills did not pass. And so our country is always a work in progress. It's always mm-hmm. a place to, to fight for making things better. I think it's really important to recognize that we have been on this really forward trajectory of moving moving the needle forward. I think some of the conversations that we were having have really shifted the way that we think about race, think about gender, you know, think about sexual violence and consent. And we're seeing this backlash from a very animated conservative space, but they're not winning. It's not a winning message. It's not the world that people want to have become our future. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think holds me to the fight and encourages me to keep pushing harder because I believe that the majority of parents want their children to be best positioned to navigate this global diverse world that we exist in now mm-hmm. and trying to push us into our little like mole holes and pretend mm-hmm. that we all live in like 1950s Smallville is not <laughs> really what's going to work. And hopefully, right, um, we all would like to see our children be able to navigate the real world and not that version of it. I mean, you're talking about empowerment. And I think that's why it's such a threat. Sex education, knowing your own body, knowing the mysteries of your body, and particularly consent, bodily autonomy and consent threatens capitalism, white supremacy and patriarchy all at the same time. And I love all of these connections that you're making to all of these uh, different movements. Like I, I don't see a difference between feminism and, and the trans rights movement. They're, they're totally intertwined with how our gender indicates our power in the culture and how we don't want that. You know, we want to be able to be our gender fully without it designating us as lesser or more or whatever it is or, you know, a person to abuse or something. So I, I can see it's all very clear how sex education does threaten oppressive power structures and empowers the individual awareness mm-hmm. of their autonomy, awareness of yeah. their right to say yes or no with what is done with their body and how they're treated. 
It's like it's an excellent um, way to view the oppressive systems in our culture is through sex education. I mean, there's many ways to do it, but that's like one of them is like you can see how it's all working. The mechanism is all within this one topic. It's very interesting. And I'm, I'm wondering just what you do to care for yourself through this fight. Like I can see you in the fight. I'm so glad you're in this fight, but it seems like you must have so many days of just feeling disheartened also to be able to see how this works under such a microscope, especially being in DC. I mean, that's intense, right? I would imagine. Yeah, it really is. And it can get really overwhelming. And, you know, particularly when we're tracking all of these bills and we're seeing them pass. And it's so hard, right? Because there have been a couple of instances where the bill was vetoed. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, supermajority overruled that veto, right? And so you think for this moment, like, oh, we're able to stop the bleed and then to have it taken away. Those are the kinds of things I think that are that are just, um, it can be a lot, right? And so I do end up having to turn off social media. Um, I I became obsessed with BTS. I spent a lot of time in BTS world. Yeah. There's a lot of joy and hope. Yes, that's what I was about to say. It's so light and so different yeah. anti-DC, I feel like. It, it, it really is. But I think the other thing about it is being able to talk with young people mm-hmm. who are so impassioned and angry mm. and ready to fight and push back is one of those spaces where you realize as a 40 year old woman, like I don't have the luxury to actually get tired mm. and feel discouraged mm. because young people are demanding and fighting for these things to change. And frankly, they're getting frustrated with mm-hmm. us adults being too slow to react yeah. and to protect their rights and their freedoms. I came into this work as a policy person, recognizing that change is really long. It took us, what, 15 years to get the Affordable Care Act yeah. passed, right? We still haven't achieved immigration reform. We're still fighting these fights on the reproductive front. And sometimes the winds are really big and it's this catalytic moment that changes the way that America operates. And sometimes it's just these slow roll battles where you get a you get an inch and you keep just clawing at that inch. Mm-hmm. And so I do kind of hold that perspective that when it's a fight that's worth fighting for, you've got to be in it for the long haul mm-hmm. and you take what wins you can. You know, prior to 2022, SICA's helped five different states pass statewide mandates and legislation that advances sex education, that's inclusive, that's medically accurate, that's age appropriate. So I know that we've had those kinds of successes. And this is a setback. And it's a really harsh setback. It's it's hard to have in this moment, where we're still coming out of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. we're still coming out of the conversation around protecting Black lives. But it's also a part of our historical struggle as a country. And it's both bigger than just sex ed. And it's just as critical and important for us to stay grounded in moving forward in this fight. And so, you know, and then I go and listen to BTS. Yeah. (laughs) I really appreciate your call outs in regards to the ways in which the fear mongering tactics Mm -hmm. fail. Mm -hmm. But also like, as you're talking, I'm just sort of thinking about what is the world where we receive education around healthy relationships, diverse people, mm-hmm. <laughs> boundary setting, uh, respecting your peers, kind of regardless of differences. Mm-hmm. And it's like actually kids who are receiving that kind of education 
are going to become adults who aren't participating in this Mm -hmm. really polarized geopolitical debate that we find ourselves really stuck in, like the polarization that's happened in the country, I think particularly since the 2016 election Mm -hmm. is so kind of shocking. And like the fact that we can't even have intelligent conversations Mm -hmm. about these issues, like it's just like things get pushed so far to the sides. So in those five states, right, where this education is happening, those youth are not going to be adults who are engaging in political debate in that way. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of start seeing how any seeds that you can plant around sex education from an early age, it's going to have such a positive domino effect. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think absolutely. And I I mean, I think that we see that already, right? And that's where I look at young people today who are both so confused Mm -hmm. by these conversations and so Mm -hmm. enraged by them, right? Because Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense when you understand bodily autonomy as natural and normal and an integral Mm -hmm. human right why are we having this conversation, right? I think that that is where so much of the push for progress is coming from, because we do have young people who are being taught to see each other as humans and are confused why the rest of us are falling short of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am very excited that Seekus has launched a campaign that is focused on adults. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because we need some help, y'all. Adults are not (laughs) doing well. (laughs) I really want to hear you talk about the sex ed futurism campaign. Like, what is it? How did it come to be? Sex ed futurism, it's actually been an iterative project. One of the things that we were really looking at is how to imagine a future where everyone understood sex that is normalized as healthy, natural, and pleasure-based, and then being activated to make that true. So you were talking about, you know, it's hard for folks to get activated on this and really understand how it connects to their day-to-day lives. One of the things that we really realized was that we've got this, what are called the rising justice adults. These are young adults who are ready to take action, who are primed to take action in support of a better world. Um, and they were not being really captured in this conversation about K through 12 sex education Mm -hmm. and are so primed and well positioned to help advocate for a sex positive future by making sure that sex education that is taught in schools today is, you know, sex positive and shame free and all of these things. Mm -hmm. So what we really wanted to do was create a program that focused on adult-based sex education that could hold these conversations. Because also there's so many adults, you know, young people who are coming, entering adulthood who didn't get the sex education Mm -hmm. that they wanted or needed, right? And so they're also trying to figure out, you know, what does sex positivity mean to me? How do I engage in a pleasure-based lifestyle and learning and leaning into these things? And so we felt like, one, we can have information that is targeted to helping these rising justice adults get the information and knowledge they need as they're becoming adults. The second piece of it is a lot of times part of the fear mongering that's happening is because parents are not positioned to hold these conversations Mm -hmm. because they never received the sex education. So part of the fear mongering that's happening is tapping into parents' insecurities of like, well, I don't know about transgender identities. Like, I don't know this language. How am I supposed to be able to explain to my kids what they're being taught in school. 
So here, here's adult-based sex education for you that will help you answer these questions and hold mm-hmm. these conversations so that you can feel comfortable in your own journey and then being able to support your young people. And so that's what the Sex Ed Futurist campaign is about. It's really building the sustainable supporter funnel to help engage folks that are living this lifestyle and understanding and connecting the dots between the lack of knowledge that our elected leaders have and how that actually impacts laws and policies while getting the sex education that they need to live the lifestyle that leads to pleasure and positivity while taking action with us in support of legislation that's going to change the way that kids are taught. So that's the goal. We have a Sex After Dark. I think it's going to end up becoming a podcast. Right now, it's a bi-monthly series. We're holding conversations with sexologists and experts and MDs who are coming and talking with us about, you know, what what do folks need to know about anal sex, about the female pleasure gap, mm-hmm. around these different topics that we should destigmatize and be open and clear about as adults, as folks who are trying to live a healthier lifestyle. And then here's the funnel for you to get engaged with us as we fight the Real Education and Access for Healthy Youth Act, or as we fight for young kids to have the right to education that's inclusive of their experiences. Robin was just saying last week that she really needs a puberty tool for talking to our kids. So I'm just like putting a little plug in there for the <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> futurist. <laughs> Uh, very needed resources for these parents over here. <laughs> yeah, and, and parents, especially in places where they don't have sex, sex education for their kids, like, yeah, what what is a great resource for people, for parents looking to educate themselves and their kids, maybe? There's a great program, Sex Positive Families. Melissa mm-hmm. Carnegie has both a book and she does coaching and classes for parents specifically about how to raise sex positive kids. I mean, I think that she's just an amazing subject matter expert. She's in Texas and so really at the mm-hmm. heart of all of these fights. She's got some really great resources. Um, there's also the Amaze series. It's actually like some short videos and they have it for young kids, okay. but also adolescent kids. And it's actually an educational tool where parents are kind of given resources to be able to navigate conversations, but also watch these videos with their young person Mm -hmm. and then engage in conversations about the content. And so there's a whole series on there, puberty, masturbation, all of these things from both of those resources. But those are two of the best that I think are both accessible and easy for parents to be able to tap into and then be able to work with their young people around. Great. Thank you. Are there any laws or policies that folks should be paying attention to right now or kind of anything interesting happening in the policy space? I mean, there's a ton. CECUS's main federal bill that we are pushing for is the Real Education and Access for Healthy Youth Act. It's RIA. Basically, this may be a shocker, but it would be the first time that the federal government would actually fund comprehensive sex education program. And it would make sure that the funding is going to under-resourced schools that have the most vulnerable young people who get missed Mm -hmm. and are most at risk of sexual harm without um, sex education. Mm -hmm. So it's doing two really great things. One, creating this funding flow for the programming that we want to see and making sure that vulnerable young people, underserved young people are the recipients of those resources. It was just reintroduced this May. 
2023. And Holes annual advocacy days, we're constantly putting out action alerts, um, asking our supporters to contact their members of Congress to support this legislation and move it forward. We've got a number of bills happening in the state. Most often they're called the Healthy Youth Act, but it's really state-based legislation to introduce mandates that would, again, encourage schools to teach sex education that conforms to the national sex ed standards, which is our most recent guidance on how to make sure that we're creating curriculum that speaks to the needs of young people today. Fantastic. I know this is a really critical time of year for nonprofits in fundraising. And also with the launch of the Sex Ed Futurist campaign, I have a feeling that some people are going to want to join. So how can people support SECUS? How can they become a Sex Ed Futurist? Where can people find you? Yeah. So if you go to www.secus.org, and that's S-I-E-C-U-S.org, we would love to have you sign on as a supporter, sign on to our listserv. The website for Sex Ed Futurists is https colon backslash backslash site backslash sex ed futurists, all one word. Also, if you go to the SICAS website, um, you'll be able to access the Sex Ed Futurist link if that's a little bit easier. Thank you so much for spending this time with us and schooling us on this issue. I feel like even though I am involved with SICAS, I feel like I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I went to school. This was great. Fun school. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for all this work. It's really amazing what you're doing out there. It's incredibly needed and appreciated. So thank you. You know, I guess what I would say is my fuck yeah. And the thing that drives me is this vision and goal that I have around the world that I want to create, right? That we want to see happen. And so for me, it's this idea that we can have young people that respect and see each other Mm -hmm. as valuable human being across difference Mm -hmm. is my fuck yeah, that helps me stay motivated and grounded. So thank you for letting me be a part of your show and and speaking to that and speaking to the work that we're trying to do at Seekus. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Can you see now why this is one of my favorite things that I do? Isn't Chris amazing? Chris is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for bringing her to the podcast because that conversation was really enlightening and kind of invigorating in a way. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's nice to have a DC insider kind of let us give us the real deal about what's going on. I mean, it's depressing on certain angles, but her enthusiasm for the fight. Yeah was a little contagious and also heartwarming because it does, I get really beaten down by this fight sometimes. And not just around like sex education, but all of the things that she was bringing up. I love all of the connections between individuals, what they're fighting for, sex education, bodily autonomy, and the greater oppressive structures that we're all living under Mm -hmm. and how those all interact. That was really valuable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and she's so grounded in the context around the issues, but also keeping things in perspective in terms of how social change really happens. You know, like the slow kind of arduous process. Yeah. Like her passion combined with that kind of grounded sense of reality Mm -hmm. around how change really takes place is just inspiring. 
Yeah. I think it's counterintuitive for a lot of more conservative people that more knowledge is actually going to decrease things like SDI transmission and all of these things that we statistically worry about. I mean, that statistic that Chris raised, that 80% of Americans Mm -hmm. support sex education, it's like, let's not get it twisted. Mm -hmm. The conversation is being dominated with an intent to fear monger and Mm -hmm. to serve a larger agenda that has nothing to do with sex education, this is Mm -hmm. not a controversial issue. Right. People support, parents support sex education. Yeah. And when parents learn what's actually in sex ed, it's really hard not to support. So I have a segment for you. Ooh. The more you fucking know. I have a breakdown here of what is actually in sex ed. So the sex ed that's being advocated for through the policies that Chris was mentioning. This is what everyone who's working in sex ed, the kind of general framework for elementary school, middle school, high school, what is covered. And it breaks into a number of different categories. And then I'm going to ask you some questions. Okay. The topics, and then I'll tell you how they're presented in age appropriate ways, are consent, social relationships, understanding our bodies, Hmm. respecting diversity, understanding families around me, Mm -hmm. gender and orientation, Mm self-esteem, media and culture, Mm -hmm. healthy decisions and goals, then sexually transmitted infections and pregnancy. Wow. STIs and pregnancy prevention are a small piece of this. This is really about whole selfhood. The sex education I got, I remember watching a film in like the fifth grade that had, it it was clearly from the fifties and it had like cartoon sperm and stuff and it was just reproduction. Mm -hmm. We had the STI pregnancy class. And I think a lot of negative consequences around having sex were part of a lot of sex ed programs. So like STIs, like you're going to die from having sex. Then there's all the shame-based education. That was something we were talking about earlier, like the chewed gum or the used up tape where like the whole classroom passes around the piece of tape and then it's not sticky by the end. And it's like, well, this is what's going to happen to you if you have sex. Like virginity culture. There's Uh some sex ed programs that I've heard of where they gave you a a, a baby like that you had to carry around with you mm-hmm. like a kind of like a sack of flour type situation mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. it's, classic um, yeah yeah so um <laughs> when do you think between elementary school middle school and high school do you start talking about relationships in this sex ed model like sexual relationships or friendships just or? healthy relationships kind of in general Healthy relationships in general, I think, is in elementary. So here's the relationship trajectory in sex ed. In elementary school, you're talking about healthy peer relationships, Mm -hmm. like friendships. And it goes in middle school, you start learning about peer pressure and how to handle Mm. it. And there's anti-bullying curriculum. Oh, good. And then in high school... You start talking about healthy, intimate relationships and dating violence prevention. Mm, I love that. Right? Good. That's not scary. Right. Gender and orientation. What do you think kids are learning about this in schools? I would assume that they would suggest starting to talk about that in junior high. 
But I feel like those conversations are definitely already happening in my kids' elementary school amongst themselves. So I feel like that should start in elementary, but I'm going to guess it's junior high. So in elementary school, what you start learning is understanding your own gender identity, but specifically Mm. how to be yourself and not be pressured to act a certain way because of your gender. Oh, that's nice. And then by middle school, they are laying the final foundation around gender and orientation. It's not really Mm. being talked about in high school because in middle school, they introduce the idea of sexual orientation. So whether you're attracted to male, females, both, or another gender mm-hmm. and gender identity and expression. So those two things being different mm-hmm. and unique mm-hmm. and the fact that you can identify as male, female, neither, or another gender. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that That's, you know, I think that this is one of those things that we kind of hear blown out of proportion yeah. That there's all of this grooming that's happening mm-hmm. when really all that's being presented is you have a gender, mm-hmm. there are a number of genders, mm-hmm. and you don't have to act a certain way because you're one gender or the other. That's right. Yeah. God. Just like what a relief to just hear. But it's so basic stuff that's so hard for our culture to conceive of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I really hope that this helps Gen Alpha or whoever, uh-huh. whatever we're calling them to be relieved of some of our intergenerational traumas around this stuff. Yes. And then in high school, it continues on how to make thoughtful and informed decisions about sex based on your values. And so you really start getting into like value discussion, understanding how to be discerning about online behavior and media, Mm. how to stand up for yourself. The concept Mm -hmm. of self-care is introduced. So when we're talking about sex ed, these are the kinds of things that we are talking about. What I love about this comprehensive version of sex ed is that it it does show how our sexuality is part of every aspect of our lives. Yeah. I mean, just having it all presented in this neutral way. Yeah. Like this is what decision making is. And like, and once you have that foundation, then you can get into the conversations around like how you prevent STIs, like how you understand the reproductive system and like can make choices around your pregnancy and safety and all of that pregnancy prevention and, you know, keeping yourself safe. It's just like really what that's about is getting to a place where people can ask themselves the question, is this even what I want to be doing? Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like learning how to practice some discernment. Mm -hmm. Like I certainly want that for my kid. And I think that we all want that for our kids. Yep. So yes, thank you so much to Seekus and to Chris for all the amazing work that you're doing. I hope folks will sign up for the sex ed futurist movement. Mm. I, if you are finding yourself this holiday season with some extra disposable income, I hope you will go to seekus.org and make a donation because the work Mm -hmm. that they are doing is really fantastic. And I hope you will find us on social at fuck yeah pod. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com. A great holiday gift for us would be a rating and mm-hmm. a review. Ooh. 
just what I've always wanted. <laughs> Until next week. Fuck yeah. Fuck Yeah! Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tom Chesson, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith-Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.